Welcome. We're so glad you're joining us for a word in season with Doug Stringer and friends. Today, we are sitting in on one of our transforming leadership calls. We host these type of calls often and would love for you to be involved. Sign up for more info by visiting a word in season podcast.org. While you're there, would you take our two minute survey? Now let's welcome our host, Doug Stringer. Today, I'm really excited about having a good friend, Robert Whitaker Jr. with us from Whitaker Corporation and Publishing. And of course, they have also anchored distributors. Bob Whitaker Jr. or Robert Robert Whitaker Jr., a.k.a. Bob to me, uh, has been active in Christian literature for over 45 years. He is the president of Whitaker House Corporation, a publisher and distributor of Christian books and Bibles worldwide. Bob has been married for 41 years and has five children, six grandchildren, and Bob considers his wife the second greatest treasure in his life next to knowing Jesus. Okay, guys, you hear that? You need to make sure you appreciate your wives, right? Bob has served on missions boards for over 40 years. This organization recently completed a 20-bed maternity ward in rural India, as well as other numerous literacy outreaches into villages of India. And Bob is also chairman of the board of Sheep Incorporated Medical Clinic, a free clinic for the underinsured and in the Pittsburgh area. The clinic recently moved into a new facility, which includes seven exam rooms. It was Bob's dad, uh, Robert Whitaker Sr., who searched to find God, who can do miracles and change lives, brought him to the knowledge of Christ. And this family blessing has poured over into Bob Jr.'s marriage and family. And I can attest to that and the fact that as I had the pleasure of knowing Bob Whitaker Jr. for many, many years. And of course, Whitaker House has been around a long time. It's a very stable publishing house and so many changes are going on in the Christian publishing world that Whitaker House has become as strong, has continued to look to how to serve uh, the bookstores and serve people across this country and around the world. And I've had the pleasure of actually authoring quite a few books with Whitaker House, including Leadership Awakening. I'm also in search of a father's blessing. Our newest book is called Mending the Net, Bringing Hope in a Hurting World. And when uh, Bob Jr. and his daughter Christine had asked me uh, if we could take the book that was actually under another title and update it, rewrite it, add a couple chapters. When they asked me to do it, it was before COVID. Uh, Who would have thought that that message would be far more needed now than ever? So it just came out a few weeks ago called Mending the Net, Bringing Hope in a Hurting World. And I'll tell you, that message is resonating more now than even when it was first written. That's a great picture of it right there, Mending the Net. And uh, my wife wrote a book called God Did Not Do This to Me, telling her version of the story of when we went through our family trial, when I went through stage four B-cell lymphoma back in 2015. Bob, thank you so much for being with us today. I'm excited about this time together and those that have gleaned from these Zoom calls as well as from the podcast and other means by which we will put it up on YouTube channel and so on as well. Uh, Bob, uh, it was a few years ago that I served on your board and I had the pleasure of coming back and forth to uh, Pittsburgh, where you are. But long before that, we've been friends. Uh, I just wanted to take the time, especially with so many changes, transitions going on today. There's stories that have to be told. And as I've been told before, the written book or the pages of, of writings is a living and transcendent preacher because we might be able to be in one place at one time, but the things that we write, the things that we say can transcend a geographical moment, time, and becomes a lasting preacher. And I know that you have thousands and thousands of books over the years, some very great classics I've been able to read as well. 
But Bob, tell us a little bit about your story, because I know that your dad used to literally go around selling Christian books when he got radically saved uh, out of the trunk of his car. Yes. Let me just back up. And uh, you just made me think of the reason I stuck that uh, my wife is my second greatest treasure is Doug, both you and I were impacted by the ministry of Dr. Ed Cole. One of the things he said is the things you you appreciate grow in value and the things you depreciate lose value. Yes. And basically, I took that principle right to my wife. And the more I appreciate my wife, the more she grows in value. And I just said to my wife one day, I said, you know, Pat, you will never, ever hear through the grapevine that I've said something negative about you. So when we have our disagreements, it's in private, in public. I'll tell you, my wife's the greatest wife in the whole world, and I really do appreciate her, and I'm thankful for her, Doug. And because you speak value, she values you, and she's able to move to that level of God's purposes in her own life. She's a great artist as well. We've got some of her uh, artwork here that She's given to us over the years. And it's amazing what you guys have been able to do, not just with your family and your grandchildren and even across the pond. You have uh, a fa your family over in England, yes. and, uh, but yet you've seen the flourishing of your personal family life, but also uh, the continued blessings of God, even through difficult times economically in our nation, to see Whitaker House uh, flourish. That's right. I got, I'm really thankful that I am recipient of a dad that really sought for God. And when I was in third grade, my dad started a search for Jesus. And he tried a bunch of dead denominations. He tried cults. He was trying to find a God that really made a difference and changed people's lives. And the God of power, a dad ended up in a little inner city Pentecostal church, got saved, baptized in the Holy Spirit. God healed him of hay fevers and cross-eyed. Dad always said, yeah, he said, only God would take a cross-eyed guy and put him in the book business. So <laughs> that was uh, my dad's start. But at that time, it was Christian books that kept his search for Christ alive, the cross and the switchblade, none of these diseases. They speak in other tongues, those old charismatic classics, if you want to call them that. So it was those books that kept my dad's search for Christ alive. He really wanted to find a God that made a difference. So when dad got saved, he began to just buy boxes of books and give them away. I'm sure many of you remember the old Full Gospel Businessmen's Association, where they used to have monthly meetings before there were so many wonderful churches in the area. But dad would give books away. And then he found out if you buy in a large quantity, you get a big discount. So dad went out and bought a tractor trailer full of books. We filled our double garage with those books and dad began to just sell them at his cost. And of course, he soon realized that cost included freight in and shipping and handling and, and it grew into a business and it was never dad's plan to become a book business or a publisher. And that was really the foundation of where we are today, Doug. Well, you know that when you talk about those, those humble beginnings and the passion something that was initially something of a passion of the heart in this desire to know God and to share Christ with others. Uh, the progression of that was to see this business emerge. And today, many on this call will have recognized many authors that you all have now uh, published over the years, as well as not just charismatic, but also a lot of mainstream authors. And it's just emerged into an amazing facility. I mean, I've published with other publishers before, and, and they're great, but there's something about what God has given you to stay a step ahead of transitions, being cognizant of those transitions, 
but staying healthy, even through when many other publishers, Christian publishers, and even Christian record labels over the years have had to be sold and sold to secular companies. But yet Whitaker House has been able to stay on target, continue to publish Christian authors and books. The tone's not been set by the world, but it continues to have the environment of a Christian environment, as well as all your staff and chapels and, and the team that you have around you. Yes. By the grace of God, I've said many times, I've seen a lot of smarter people than me come into the book business and have to exit the book business. And here we're still here. And I know it's just the blessing and favor of God. To him be all the glory, Doug, because uh, it really is the the blessings of God that allow us to do what we're doing. Well, you know, I also find that uh, you are very kingdom minded in the sense that it's not something you just decided to do now, but you've always had hard work well over 40 years serving the underprivileged, the underserved, underinsured. It's not. It's a part of the nature of Christ in you. But also I've noticed that even at the Whitaker House and your anchor distributors, you actually handle distribution for a lot of other publishing houses, uh, publishers. So that means that even though it could be perceived as this competition, you've seen it as an opportunity to help the kingdom advance. So that's really kingdom-mindedness. And what kind of evolved into that to where you started Anchor Distributors, which is one of the largest Christian distributors of any distribution houses. Basically, when dad started, we just started distributing books. That area continued to grow. And then, uh, Doug, I don't know if you ever met Russ Bixler, who founded TV40 here in Pittsburgh. Russ had written a book and he said to my dad, he said, hey, Bob, uh, if uh, I give you the money, will you print and distribute this book and just pay me back as you sell them? And my dad said, well, that's a no brainer. I can do that. He took Russ's manuscript and sent it off to a printer and said, here, print this book. And fortunately, Russ was a pretty good writer and the manuscript didn't need a lot of editing. And and it was that first book that put us into publishing. Then dad acquired a bunch of titles from uh, George Otis Sr., Uh, Some of you might recognize George Otis Jr., but dad bought his small publishing company. And so we've continued to go down those two paths of being a distributor and then also being a publisher. And then as time evolved, we became a fulfillment center for over 100 different organizations and ministries. Uh, Perhaps one of the largest one is Provident Music. We do all of their distribution into the Christian market. Uh, for Provident Music, which is a division of Sony Corporation. So mm-hmm. we we continue to evolve. And, and Doug, as a side note, I just still remember a sermon by uh, Bishop T.D. Jakes. And he talked about the Garden of Eden having more than one river. And he's saying, basically, every ministry and organization should be challenged to find different revenue streams. I think that that's part of the philosophy we have is, okay, does it match what we're doing? Is it in sync with what we're doing? And can we create another revenue stream? And so basically at the end of the day, the FedEx trailer gets filled up and out goes the product to around the world. It all makes sense to do as many of these things to continue to be a blessing and expand God's kingdom, Doug. And you have a massive operation there. I've been there many times in your warehousing and just the technical things you have to keep up with in, in the emerging technology of the day to make sure that things are coming in and going out smoothly all over the world. It's amazing. It's beyond my pay grade, so to speak, but uh, had the pleasure of watching some of that and participating. Tell us a little bit about your personal story. I know you saw your dad and you grew up under all this. Was there a moment or was there a time where you had a personal 
revelation of God and surrender to God to the point that you it changed the trajectory of your life and now what you do? I would have to say, Doug, many of those full gospel businessmen's meeting, um, well, I can say in third grade, when my dad became a Christian, I went to church and committed my life to Christ. And I think back then I didn't know what I was doing as a third grader, but I knew it was the right thing to do. The thing that really challenged me is when I hear people, and and certainly, Doug, you're an inspiration in this regard, and I've told many stories of what you've accomplished. It made me think of, I really do want to do great things for God's kingdom. And how do we go about doing those great things for God's kingdom? And I remember as a young boy, basically being at the altar in tears saying, God, I want to be used for your kingdom. I want to make a difference. I can tell you many times I wept before God to just simply say, please let me be used of your kingdom and and let me be able to stand before you whenever uh, judgment day hits and hear that comment that well done, good and faithful Mm -hmm. servant. That's the greatest desire in my life, Doug, to be able to hear that from our father. That is something I've watched the authenticity and the genuineness of that desire lived out in you and, of course, your family and and others that work with you. I can just say that uh, thank you for saying yes to the Lord and then surrendering to even the place of where God has you now and as being president and CEO of the Whitaker Corporation and all the entities that you're involved in. One of the things I want to also look at, because I think you said something that many of us can relate to, that at one moment you said, God, I just want to be used by whatever you want, God. I want want you to use me. I want to be a part of what you're doing. Then life has its unexpected detours along the way in the midst of having this great vision, great desire, and that's wonderful, but then you have to cross the Red Sea. Then you have to deal with the wilderness times. Then you have to deal with the the challenges and obstacles along the way. How do you get past some of those unexpected detours, things you didn't expect, or even times saying, God, all I want to do is just love you and reach people. And then realities of life comes to try to knock the wind out of you and rob your joy And I've heard it said before, the devil can't have your strength if he can't take your joy. How do you maintain in the midst of the most difficult of challenges to maintain your focus just so you can possess the land that God has given you, the promised land, so to speak? Well, I'll share a a really difficult season in my life, Doug. I've been on the missions board for India for many years and arrived a wonderful Christian man out of uh, eastern Pennsylvania. He told us about how he put all of his businesses and trusts and how it it saved him a lot of money and how it uh, protected him from a lot of lawsuits. He introduced us to another Christian man who put our businesses back. And now this is uh, early 90s, Doug. We made this switch to these trusts. And after we did it about a year later, and I was sitting at church And I just felt God's spirit come on to me. Something's wrong. Something's really wrong. And so I started searching out and found an attorney that specializes in these trusted arrangements. I went to, again, this attorney was referred to a Christian, and and I'm accenting this because I'll come back to this Christian side of things. And so I went to this attorney with my dad and brother at the time and told him what we're doing. And the attorney said, oh, that's, that's great. That's, you know, I have all these clients that do this. And I said, well, I understand I need to get an opinion letter from an attorney as a, you know, safety valve or protection. If indeed it's wrong, you ask for an opinion letter. So the attorney 
sent back to us an opinion letter, a one-page opinion letter. And uh, shortly after that, the long story is the whole thing was illegal. It was totally false. And and we actually had a knock on the door with a, an IRS criminal investigator, criminal investigator, not just an IRS investigation, which means if this is really fraudulent, we could end up in jail. The long story of this thing is uh, the opinion letter, which I never realized at the time, I asked for an opinion letter and I got one. An opinion letter should be like a novel. It should be like uh, quoting every uh, IRS rule, regulation, and proof that what we've done was right. I didn't get that. All I got was a single page opinion letter. So my brothers and sisters out there, if you're into something that you're not sure of, make sure you you protect yourselves and get uh, a solid opinion letter, which quotes all of the statutes and laws concerning what you've done. So this criminal investigation, Doug, went on for seven years. We signed seven, I'm sorry, six statutes of limitation extensions. And basically, uh, we, we had found a, an attorney that was a very sharp uh, IRS criminal attorney that defended us. He basically said that the opinion letter wasn't going to hold weight, and our attorney that gave us the opinion letter could quickly uh, dodge this issue and say we didn't tell him everything. And so we, he said uh, we need to get him as a recording confirming what he's already told us. So basically, in Pennsylvania, it's illegal to record a phone call without someone's knowledge, but it's not illegal in West Virginia. So my brother went down to West Virginia for, quote, business trip, and my dad and I went to the office, and John called in and recorded the attorney saying that. I am really thankful that we had a pretty sharp attorney at that point in time, and needless to say, this thing went on for seven years, continuing to have statute limitations. So that meant for seven years, Doug, you'd go to bed at night thinking the IRS could go to court tomorrow and get an indictment for you. You know, you never know when that's going to happen. For seven years, this lingered over our heads. You know, we had no idea what to expect. Is going to be a trial? Is this what's going to happen? And so during this season, Doug, it's like, how do you continue to work? when you're under this great amount of emotional stress, physical stress, uh, the IRS was calling in employees, the IRS was calling in our accountant, uh, the IRS was calling in our bookkeeper. This was a very, very stressful time. And I, I'm sure there are those in the audience that are listening to being under this type of tremendous stress, uh, whether it's a lawsuit, whether it's a sickness, whether it's uh, uh, family issues, how do you really deal with these type of things. And Doug, I'll tell you the greatest comfort I found through this series was actually the God's word. And literally when I'd go to bed at night, I'd stick headphones on my ears and I'd play God's word. That was the most comforting thing I had through that whole season, Doug, was just knowing that I'm enveloped in the promises of God. The promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. I would encourage everyone, if you don't have an audio Bible, get an audio Bible, play that audio Bible, play it in the background of your room. Just having God's word accompanying you wherever you're going, to me, is the greatest source of strength and peace you'll ever find. At the end of seven years, the IRS finally came to us and said, if my brother and I would plead guilty to a misdemeanor, they would make everything drop. So... We did because they really didn't have a case. The prosecutor was just wouldn't let go of the case. We moved ahead 
pled guilty to misdemeanor, which, as the attorney says, it's not a felony. We continue to vote. We still have all of our privileges as citizens. And basically, it, it, it went away very quickly at that point in time. The next part of this whole story, Doug, is once that criminal side is done, the IRS will then say you have a fraudulent return and they will want a 75% penalty. So now you add up the seven years of, of that penalty of 75% and all the interest and taxes, the taxes and interest and penalties, probably Doug would have put us out of business. We just couldn't afford to have paid all of that after that long of a period. Again, having a good attorney, which if you're struggling for attorney, I would encourage people to ask around, make sure you find good attorneys, good counselors. And sometimes you need to find people out of the city you're in because sometimes they don't like to rock the boat too much in the city they're in. That's just a sidebar. <laughs> so we appealed this to tax court, Doug, and this is another seven years. So for, it's almost like this case went on for 14 years in our lives. Fortunately, at the end of it, the IRS doesn't like things to go to tax court. It's why our attorney said send it to tax court. There's only a, a handful of attorneys in the IRS that handle tax cases in tax court. So we ended up with a 5% penalty. We paid that all off. And by the grace of God, we're clean and green, so to speak, and moving on. But, you know, it's like one decision. We thought we were doing the right thing. We thought we had covered all of our bases, Doug. And here it cost us 14 years of our lives. All I can say, it's been God's word. And I look at trials that come up now and issues that have come up. They seem so small compared to what we went through back then. And I, all I can say is God is faithful. God is good. God takes good care of his kids. I guess the, Doug, the best way to get through a lot of these trials then is to actually get into God's word and find your comfort and solace in what God has done. Through all that, it would have been easy just to throw up your hands and quit. Yes. And God, in the midst of that, you still have to do life. You have to do family. You still have to take care of your staff and employees and develop the company. In the midst of all that, it's almost like, why even do this if we don't know the outcome? But yet you had to hold on to that place of holding on to the, the, the horns of the altar, so to speak, is Christopher Daigle up in New England just wrote, he said, it reminds me of the 14 years with Jacob and Laban. And then I was thinking also that in the midst of all of this, you were still growing the business and actually publishes, I say we, Whitaker House, published Miles Monroe, and you had become very close friends with Miles Monroe, who has passed a few years ago in a tragic plane accident uh, from, from Bahamas, and uh, you were just with them not be long before that. And yet, when you see these tragedies, you question so many things about, God, what's going on? I look back at the redemptive thing that God gave you when you couldn't sleep at night, and you're thinking, there's just something, there's a check in my heart. Yes. Now, of course, sadly, when it, you're dealing with the secular world, um, there is no room for what they, they call ignorance or saying, I didn't know, because even though it's all these attorneys with all this you know, legalese, it still comes down to the fact that they're not going to be the scapegoat. They want the person, even though they're trying to help, is the one that's responsible. And yes. so it's sad that we have to be able to to look at all these potential avenues and areas that have been going through the cracks to make sure that we're covering ourselves and being covered by the Lord. And, and it seems to me that in the midst of all of that and the growth of Whitaker and all your businesses that you still were able to hold on to this sense of God is with me. He's my vindicator. He'll give us the wisdom. Uh, not you just ignore him. You have to confront those things in a very assertive ways, but at the same time, 
you were able to continue the business. How were you able to, in that 14 years, continue to relate in the kingdom, publish books? You know, you've published many, many authors that we know, like Miles Monroe and others. And uh, how were you able to maintain that focus in the midst of all that you were going through? Doug, uh, oh, I can give God the glory for that because I think it was just knowing that God is still in control no matter what happens in our lives. And we knew that God was faithful. God will continue to be faithful to us. And I guess we just continued to confess that God, God is faithful. God is good. You know, we, we'd have our family prayer time. We would pray about it. We would seek God. And quite frankly, you get to the point that there's absolutely nothing you can do. And when you're at that point of what more can you do, you certainly don't want to push any IRS. You don't want to push the court issues. It would be six months before we heard anything back from the IRS or the attorneys of what the next step is. And so you'd have these seasons of nothing. And all you can do is just sit there and confidently put your trust in God. And for me, it was really when I laid my head on my pillow that you start thinking of what ifs, what if we go to trial? What if we have to go to jail? What if we have, you know, all these what ifs start to come when you're you're laying still and your brain kind of is going. And, and all I can say is that you can't focus on those things. You, there are things you just can't change in life. And it's got to be a total act of God to do it. And that's where our faith comes in. That's where our confession comes in. That's where the knowledge of God's word comes in. And that's where we have to stand on those principles and knowing what God has shown us and what God has promised to do and that God is faithful to do. And Doug, I, I guess I want to say something here. I mentioned to you, earlier that it was Christian people that introduced us to the trust, the guy that sold the trust were Christians, that they, it was a Christian that referred us to an attorney that gave us the bad advice. And in and, and all of those things, Doug, Christians, just because they're Christians and are sincere, you can be sincere and you can be sincerely wrong. Yes. And that's the hard thing. I think sometimes as a publisher, people get theologies, they get doctrines. And that's where I think I'll encourage everyone to know what you believe. Search the scriptures. Be diligent in your search. What do you believe? What do you feel God is saying to you in your life? Do you have scriptures to back it up? Many years ago, I remember a friend saying, oh, I bought a motorcycle. And he said, uh, yeah, I prayed about it. And God said it was okay to buy the motorcycle. And he took out a loan to buy the motorcycle. And about six months later, it got repossessed. Now, was that God saying to him to buy the motorcycle, <laughs> knowing that it's going to get repossessed in six months? Or was it that man bypassing that still small voice in his spirit saying, don't do it. We used to call faith and presumption. And when I think about uh, even in the last few years, we've seen many large churches and ministries have bought into it. I've seen people that invested their life savings into these things that turned out to be Ponzi schemes because they trusted a Christian who knew a Christian who was doing these things. And you're going to get a quick return and it's going to help your church, or your business to get extra income. And whenever something looks too good, it's probably too good to be true regardless if it came from a Christian or a person you think that you know that you know or some high-profile person, we have to do our own due diligence and really hear from God, don't we? Yes, we do, Doug. And I will say this to you, Doug. 
I think God talks to me more when I'm wrong than when I'm right. I think God put a commission in the, the Bible for us to accomplish things that God has set very clear guidelines, what a Christian's responsibility is and what we should be aiming for and what the goals of our life should be. And I find that most of the time I hear God the strongest is when I'm wrong. I think that's the real telling point of a Christian is how do you respond when you know you're wrong? I know a lot of Christians that can't apologize, can't say I'm sorry. I was wrong. If I would have to say what the biggest thing about Christians is we get so prideful that we have to be right. And I can tell you, Doug, I'm wrong many times. And I have to say it to my wife. I have to say it to my kids. And I have to say it to my employees. I was wrong. But it's still the responsibility and character to keep the company moving, to keep our marriages growing and our children growing. And and sometimes we're wrong. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with saying, I'm sorry. I mean, Uh, In that basically, when we do make a mistake before God, isn't that what repenting is? Basically saying to God, God, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I I messed that up. And I I think, Doug, that's the humbleness that God expects of us is to acknowledge when we're wrong and deal with it appropriately. In times like this, it's really about the great and abounding and amazing grace of God, isn't it? And at the end of the day, that's what we need. We're nothing without him. There is nothing without him. And if we recognize our dependency on the Lord, that we have a need for him in every part of our life, that helps us to stay humble in the sense that we're nothing without him. And I was reminded when you were sharing a few moments ago about how do you keep moving forward in the midst of all these other weighty things on top of your shoulders and probably sleepless nights. How do you maintain still moving forward in the business and family and other entities and businesses? I was thinking about a book that Winky Prattney was writing years ago, and he sent me a copy of it before it got published. It was called The Thomas Factor. Now, since then, he's actually given it away. It's a different title, but it originally was called The Thomas Factor. And the thing I remembered about the book was it was talking about something similar, that in the midst of not knowing what to do, you can't just sit. You still have to be doing your daily responsibilities and focus. And even though you're not sure that's where you are going to be ultimately, still maintain what you do know. And I think that's what you had to do those 14 years. And of course, there's been other challenges, I'm sure, in all of our lives, not just once or twice. There's things we have to learn in our life lessons and through our life experiences that become part of our life message. I think that there are times that when we're not sure what to do, we still have to maintain our daily responsibilities as a father, as a wife, as a husband, as a as an employer, as an employee, as a student, we still have to continue the daily responsibilities in the midst of these overwhelming factors that could distract us. Because it, because once those breakthroughs come, if we haven't moved forward, we're still stuck in the past or that we haven't moved forward in the process. You know, Doug, I had two things on my heart. I really wanted to communicate. And the first thing was, as a businessman or as a leader or as a church pastor, It's really hard that you find people, you hire people, you bring people on board, and you suddenly find out that your organization has grown beyond their capabilities. In spite of offering training, in spite of offering the things that you should do as development, some people just don't want to change. You know, it's so to speak, do you go home with the person you brought to the dance? You know, that old analogy, you're supposed, we've all trained you go to the dance and you bring back the girl you took to the dance. But, you know, in business, you go to the dance and you find out this person isn't capable and sometimes they become a great hindrance to a business. And I would say, Doug, one of the hardest thing in leadership is what do you do with these people that basically 
are over their heads or the organization has grown to a point of being over their heads. And I can tell you one of the hardest issues I struggle with is when you find personnel and, and you keep making changes, you keep wanting things to change, and, and they just are incapable of the change. And when you finally have to deal with it, then of course you get, you're not a Christian, what type of Christian are you? <laughs> you know, I always remind myself when we were having our building built, the guy who was doing the drywall in the building failed to show up and he put the whole schedule back probably almost a month because he just didn't come in and do the drywalling on the schedule that he was assigned to do it and scheduled to do it. I remember the general contractor said, I'm not the boss of this building. and The owner of the construction company, he's not the boss of this building. This building is the boss and we have to do whatever it takes to make this building the boss. And I guess we have to really say, if God has called you and God has positioned you and God has appointed you to a position, it's your responsibility to get that and be fulfilled. And if you don't have the right people around you, sometimes hard decisions have to be made. And I'm not saying do it arbitrarily. I am saying doing it in love, doing it with counseling, doing it with opportunities for growth and enrichment and training. But if you've done these things, at some point in time, basically the cord has to be cut. And those are hard decisions, Doug. And I guess I'm saying that because I do believe there's people in the audience that are facing that dilemma and they don't know what to do next. And these are hard decisions. These are emotional decisions. I'll not know it. They could be people that have been with you for many years. So I don't know, Doug, if you've had any uh, experience like that. Absolutely. You know, I'm reminded of, we were talking about Dr. Evan Lewis Cole, and he used to say, there are times that you have to move to new levels of relationships. He gives different analogies to that, but in a church context, but it's so true. In fact, Bishop Dale Bronner, our friend from Atlanta, Mm-hmm. Uh, posted something the other day and I shared it. And it was a meme that basically was is from an unknown uh, author. It says, sometimes the people you wanted as part of your story are only meant to be a chapter. And that's so true, isn't it? That it's the most difficult thing because you're still friends. And, you, you know, I'm not saying that we give up in moving those new levels of friendships to have to destroy the bridge between us. Friends are friends for forever if the Lord's the Lord of them, as Michael W. Smith used to say, right? Or saying... But we have to move to new levels of those relationships and don't expend the same kind of energy in those particular relationships when you have to move to new levels of responsibility for the sake of the larger context. And I'm even thinking of Luke chapter 9 when Jesus said it was time to be taken up to go to Jerusalem and it was to go be brutalized and, and to be crucified. And he was on his way there on behalf of everyone who would come to the knowledge of the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection Yet some people were offended along the way because he wasn't able to give them what they thought they needed, and yet they didn't realize what he was doing was better to advance everyone. And sometimes Matt Gober, who's gone to be with the Lord, had Canaanland Boys Home, was a longtime friend and uh, was a part of my ordination committee back in the early 80s. And I remember when he was let go as, as being a principal at a Christian school, he literally didn't know what to do. And there could have been bitterness, but instead he became better rather than bitter in the sense, in fact, Christopher Alam, our friend in Pennsylvania, who's traveled all over the world as an evangelist, was in prison in a Pakistani prison for a year because he had become a Christian. Today, reaching millions of people around the world, he actually talked about that year in prison. He could have become bitter rather than better, but instead he held on to the Lord and became better in the process. 
So Matt Gober, instead of, of sulking and blaming anyone, realized this could be the Lord moving him out of one situation for something better for him and to advance the kingdom. Sometimes letting people go or shifting in positions is just a reassignment. If God's our ultimate employer, then we have to trust that God is in those transitions. We can do it as amicably as possible. We can do it with Christ-likeness. But there is a distinction between being the employer as a Christian, at the same time being responsible for all your employees and the multiple people around the world who will receive the gospel, in your case, because of the publishing houses and the businesses you have. So it's a tough thing to move to new levels of relationship uh, for all of us, I think, because many of us are relational people. It's hard to not give the same energy to those who were with you at one point. They were part of a chapter not and not a part of the whole book. And I guess I said that because it relates to publishing. You know, sometimes people you wanted to be part of your whole story or book are only uh, a chapter. And uh, not that we disregard them, not that we lose our friendships, but we do have to move to new levels of our of our expending of our energy, our time for the sake of the larger purposes. I agree, Doug. And, and let me share the second thing that I really wanted to communicate with you. Three verses, Doug, if I can, from James chapter three. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This truth descended not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where there is envying and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. And the verse I really want to end, Doug, is with this verse 16, is for where there is envying and strife, there is confusion in every evil work. And I can tell you, Doug, when you're running an organization, it's easy to find people that have envying and strife. And the fruits of that is just like the scripture says, you end up with all of this confusion and strife in your organization. And if you have an organization that's filled with envying and strife, you're going to find confusion in every evil work. Doug, there are times when you just got to root out those people that are causing that envying strife in your organization. And most of these people end up being, quote, good Christian people that don't know what they're even doing it. And when you approach them on these things, they get like livid and you think, man, I wasn't expecting that to come out. There comes a season, Doug, again, that you've got to root out that envying and strife. I guess I'm encouraging as leaders, these, these are hard things to do. They're not pleasant things to do, but they need to be done. Well, Jesus said a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so even in Matt Gober's situation, he turned that situation from being let go as a principal of a school into getting a couple hundred acres and became an incredible boys home and discipleship home and, and took over a whole camp area that changed the whole direction of his life and ministry and ultimate platforms by which to share the gospel. And I think we sometimes focus too much on the immediate rather than moving to new levels or new assignments that, that were released to. So thank you so much, Bob. I mean, this has been amazing. So take a moment to pray for all of these that are on the call, pastors, uh, marketplace leaders, people that have been a part of just seeking after God, going deeper in God, and, and trying to just honor the Lord and, and through so many different challenges they've been through, but yet God has given them a platform to continue to let God's light shine through them.
Would you pray for them? Sure. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. And you're, you're the God of all comfort. And Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters, the pastors, the businessmen, the moms, the dads. Father, all those that seem like crisis is in their life and they don't know where to turn to. Father, I pray that right now you will just send the Holy Spirit and comfort their hearts, Father. Lord, we know in this world we will have tribulation, Father, and you made it very clear that a Christian life is not a, a rosebud. We will have trials. We will have tribulations. But, Father, we know that you are the overcomer. You are our shield. You are our buckler. You are our high tower. Father, you, you give comfort. And, Father, I also know that there are seasons of life. There are seasons where it seems cold. It seems dry. And, Father... In these seasons, we know that you're preparing for the spring. You're preparing for the seed to be sown. And, Father, then comes the summer and then comes the harvest. So, Father, I'd ask for those that are going through these trials, Father, that you would comfort them. Father, that you would just make your presence real in spite of the trials that they're in. And, Father, we'd ask that I pray that you would give them the wisdom if they need to make changes in how they're functioning and what they're doing, that you'd make the right changes, Father that they'd get the right counselors, Father, that you would give them the right help. And Father, thank you. Thank you for my brothers and sisters. And Father, I pray a blessing on them. I pray encouragement to them. And Father, that your kingdom will continue to be built in spite of the trials and in spite of the tribulations, Father, that your kingdom come and your will be done, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bob, uh, how can people get a hold of, if they want, because you still publish a lot of the classics. Yes. And, I mean, I love Tozier, Finney, Leonard Ravenhill fan, of course, yes. and there's so many others like that. But you have so many of the classics and prayer yes. books. How can they go to check out some of the books that you all publish? And what's the website? You can go to whitakerhouse.com and you'll see all the books we publish. But like we don't publish Leonard Ravenhill, but you can go to shoptheword.com. That's that's our direct to the consumer website. And you'll be able to find all of those books in shoptheword.com uh, or whitakerhouse.com. You should be able to find an extensive uh, amount of books to build your library and be encouraged. So whitakerhouse.com or uh, they can go to shoptheword.com. Awesome. And of course, many of you on this call have already read our books, but just, you know, here's a couple of books that Whitaker House has published of mine. Um, of course, Leadership Awakening, yeah. um, Foundational Principles for Lasting Success. And although it was published five years ago, it's interesting how it keeps coming up with people mentioning how they're starting Bible studies now. So we actually, uh, in fact, uh, Pastor Hamby is doing his leadership now in Dalhart, and we've got now a study guide that goes with it that you can get through our ministry, but or you can go to Whitaker House or to any other bookstore and get our actual hard copy of the book. And then the, the newest one is Mending the Net. that just came out a few weeks ago, Bringing Hope in a Hurting World. And then also my wife's book, God Did Not Do This to Me, Finding Hope, Courage, and Faith to Face Our Toughest Challenge. And that's also put out by Whitaker House. And then another book that keeps coming up most recently again is In Search of a Father's Blessing. So there's a lot of great stories that we share. Whitaker House uh, and Bob Jr. there, everyone there in the team has been so helpful in saying these messages in many ways are timeless and need to continue to get out. So uh, go to whitakerhouse.com or to shoptheword.com or to any of your favorite bookstores and outlets and you can get these books. 
Head over now to a wordinseasonpodcast.org and let us know how we're doing by taking a quick survey. If you need prayer today, reach out to prayer at somebodycares.org or you can call or text our 24-hour Somebody Cares America prayer line, 855-459-CARE. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.